Jesus loves the little babies. A new, fully illustrated children's book teaching God's heart for preborn children by Sarah Fan. Now available at www.godloveswomen.com. That is www.godloveswomen.com. Oh, Sovereign Lord, you have all power and all authority. All dominion belongs to you because you, our Father, created all things and in you everything lives and moves and has its being. You created all the families of the earth, O Lord, and you appointed the very places where men would live so that they would seek you even though you're not far from any of them. O Lord, you do not live in temples made by human hands. You have nothing to do with idols, and you have no need of sacrifices. You have all things, O Lord, but you have appointed the Holy One, the Lord Jesus, to be Lord and Christ. And you have revealed His power by raising Him from the dead. And so you have ordained the day on which He will judge the world in righteousness. And, O Father, therefore you call all men everywhere to repent. We thank you, O God, that the proof of the divine authority of Jesus is His resurrection from the dead, that the tomb was empty and He is risen, and Satan therefore is defeated. O Lord, we pray that even in this age of evil, and this present hour of darkness, oh, we pray that you would stretch forth your mighty right hand and show forth the authority of your Son, the Lord Jesus, with all of his power and glory, that you would perform miracles and wonders to bring in the elect from every tribe and tongue and nation, and that even now, even today, there would be men who would turn from their wicked ways, be cut to the heart by the preaching of the gospel. And bow before the Lamb who was slain and be born of the Holy Spirit and transferred out of the authority of darkness and into the kingdom of light. O oh Lord, please finish the work that you are doing of saving men from Satan and their souls from hell before the end comes. And so we pray, prepare the way, our sovereign God, for the coming of the Lord Jesus on earth 
with His authority as He already reigns in heaven. And so gather your elect from the four winds. Our Father, we are your little sheep, your little children. Please deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning, the second temptation of Christ in the wilderness. This is the Gospel according to Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, All will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and we tremble joyfully at it. God has sent Jesus in the flesh. As the new Adam who will create a new people for God under his own headship, Jesus must conquer the temptations of Satan. And he must do so in the flesh. That is, he does not feign hunger in the wilderness, playing a hunger charade for us who grow hungry, as it were. Rather, Jesus, the very one who tells us not to worry about what we will eat or what we will wear, must himself face the pains, the hunger pains of near starvation in the wilderness. He who is the bread of life has not eaten for 40 days. And now, despite the extreme magnitude of his hunger pains, he has no bread to eat. So immediately Satan tempts him to turn the stone into bread. But Jesus responds, 
sinlessly and victoriously with that great battle cry. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What happens next is hard to put into chronological sequence. Matthew has the temple top temptation preceding this high mountain temptation. Whereas Luke puts the high mountain temptation before the temple top one. So if we assume that Jesus' final rebuke, away with you Satan, comes at the very end of the contest, then Matthew has given us the chronological order while Luke has ordered things thematically, ending with the temple in order to emphasize Jesus as the true Lord of the temple. So one is a chronological account in Matthew, one is a theological account in Luke, and Luke allows the chronology to change so that he can emphasize the temple. And if this assumption is correct, then it is the last temptation, chronologically, that is the strongest temptation, and that is this one, the mountaintop one. Why did Satan take Jesus up on a high mountain? Well, was it not on the high mountains of ancient Israel that the people of Israel plunged themselves into idolatry? They, when they wanted to worship idols, they would usually go up onto the high mountains. Was it not there on the high mountains that the Israelites both claimed to worship the Lord and accommodated other gods? Isaiah 57 verse 7 On a lofty and high mountain you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifice. Not a good sacrifice. Moreover, did not God Himself take the prophet Ezekiel by, up by way of visions and set him on a very high mountain in order to show Ezekiel the coming kingdom, the millennial kingdom of the new Jerusalem. Ezekiel 40 verse 2, In the visions of God He took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. On it toward the south was something like the structure of a city. Therefore, if Satan can take Jesus up on a high mountain, might he be able to entice Jesus into the, into the accommodation of a different God? And if Satan himself can take Jesus by way of visions and set him on a very high mountain in order to show him all the vast kingdoms of the world that are under Satan's dominion, might Satan deceive Jesus into thinking that he, Satan, and not the Father, holds the keys of the coming kingdom on earth? So we must never forget that Satan is the ultimate usurper, the master pretender. He pretends to be God so that others might worship him as God. And therefore, since God has a high mountain, which is Mount Zion, from which God reigns, Satan fashions his own counterfeit mountain and his own counterfeit kingdom. So as Micah, the prophet of God, prophesied that one day 
Many peoples from many nations would stream to the mountain of the Lord's house. Satan counters this by calling the nations now to stream to Mount Mecca in Saudi Arabia or in smaller but no less condemning ways to the Mormon Temple Mount in Salt Lake City or to the mountain temple shrines in Tibet. And also during the last three centuries, Satan has taken the leaders of the Western world up to the top of Mount Secularism, showing them a counterfeit vision of God's kingdom on earth, complete with zero illiteracy and zero unemployment. And there atop Mount Secularism, he has enticed them successfully to bow down and worship Him. How does Satan do it? How does he get men to worship him? He is the pretender and so he pretends ultimate authority on the earth. Luke 4, 5-6, through 6, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. Notice that crafty string of words that creates one of Satan's strongest lies. All plus authority plus I plus give. All this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Satan pretends to have all authority on earth and thus pretends to be the only one who is able to give that authority to others. This is one of his strongest lies because there is much partial truth in it. For Satan does indeed possess much authority on the earth. Since the nations worship Him, they have placed themselves under His authority. Revelation 17, 12-13 The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So to whom do the nations give their power and their authority? They give it to the beast. But under whose power and authority is the beast? He is under Satan's power and authority, and therefore the nations are giving their power and authority to Satan himself. Revelation 13, 2, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, The dragon, that is Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And also Revelation 13, verse 7, It was granted to him, that is the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Satan is ever so crafty, He takes strong partial truths 
and stretches them into powerful, overarching lies. It is true that Satan has much authority over the nations. Having hated God and having loved idols, the nations have placed themselves willingly under Satan's headship. Yet it is not true that Satan's authority over the nations is unlimited. He does not have all authority on earth. Rather, his authority is merely a permitted authority. God has permitted Satan to have his wicked authority over these wicked nations, and this only for a time, after which Satan's authority on earth shall be altogether abolished. John 19, 10-11, Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have authority to crucify you? And authority to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no authority at all against me unless it had been given you from above. So who then possesses ultimate authority on earth? Is it God or is it Satan? Is it the Son of God or is it the devil? Luke 10, 17-19, Then the seven, 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. Remember the wilderness testings of Jesus. Satan claims to be the one who has the power to give authority. But Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. The final battle in the wilderness between Jesus and Satan then is a battle of authority. Who has all authority on earth and thus has the right to give that authority to others? Is it the Father or is it Satan? The battle is the same between the Jewish chief priests who are sons of Satan and Jesus. For in the temple of Jerusalem, they challenge him precisely on this matter, namely the question of authority. Matthew twenty-one twenty-three. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority? Are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Which is it then? Does Satan have all authority? Or does the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, have all authority? Well, here is the truth. Once it is seen behind the wilderness mirage of Satan's lies. If you can take away the mirage, here's the scriptural truth. John five twenty six through 27 For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself and has given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of Man. And John 17, 1-2, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And again, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came, this is after the resurrection, and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who has the ultimate authority and thus has the ultimate power to give authority? The church board chairman of a large church says to the church's pastor, by the authority of the consensus of the church board, I both invite you and beseech you to continue in your position as our pastor. For we're approaching you only for your own betterment and for the betterment of the church. But only if you will submit your preaching to the following practical and very reasonable conditions. And of course, those practical and so-called reasonable conditions that follow this statement are all aimed at censoring the language of the fear of God from the pulpit. Or a future president of our nation, perhaps even a female president, which would be monstrous, issues the following presidential statement. The American people celebrate our rich heritage of spirituality in our nation. We are not at all against pastors. We are for pastors. We want to work with pastors for the greater good of the nation. Therefore, we are simply requiring by law that all pastors, no matter their denominational affiliations, agree with the vast majority of the citizens of this great nation of America that the use of hate speech... By which, of course, the president will mean the public condemnation of homosexual relationships and homosexual identities is not to be tolerated in our great land. God bless you in your humble support of this good and necessary law of the land so that all of our citizens, no matter their orientation, can experience the protections and privileges of liberty. And so God bless America. Or even craftier still, a husband says to his wife, God made me the authority over you. You are to submit to me. Therefore, as your husband, I am requiring you to put our children on that school bus even if it goes against your overly scrupulous motherly convictions. In all of these cases, what should be the Christian response? Is it not to reply with great meekness and gentleness of spirit, yet with all boldness and unwavering conviction, with the following... Indeed, you are in this case in authority. 
Yet the Word of God is not subject to your authority. Instead, you are under its all-encompassing authority. And therefore, I must submit myself firstly to the Holy Word of God, and only then afterward to you. And so when I find that the two authorities are in conflict, I will obey God rather than man. The last wilderness battle between Jesus and Satan is one of authority. Satan claims the sole right to give the authority over the nations to whom he pleases. By way of cunning presumption, then he offers the nations to Jesus on the condition that Jesus will bow down and worship him. I'll give all this authority to you if you will bow before me. Luke 4, 5-7, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Without scriptural glasses, the craftiness of of this argument is hard to see. It seems like a pretty straightforward argument until one remembers scriptural passages such as Psalm 22, which are passages that speak of Christ. These, These prophecies speak of Christ. And then once we hear these passages, then we can hear the subtlety of Satan's deception. Psalm 22, 27 through 28 All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, that is Christ. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations. So do you hear the prophecy? It is that the nations shall come and worship before Christ. Yet Satan claims that the nations are under His authority. And therefore the craftiness of Satan's argument goes like this. You are the Christ. And so you desire the prophecy to be fulfilled that all nations will come and worship you. Yet all nations are under my authority, not God's authority. And so they will not be yours unless I myself give them to you. However, it's it's impossible for this to happen unless you submit to my one simple and gracious condition. And since everyone knows that sometimes it's necessary for the ends to justify the means, it's an easy sacrifice for you to make. Simply bow down and worship before me so that your desire to rule the nations might be fulfilled. Furthermore, unlike that cunning God who falsely claims to be your loving Father, If you will but worship me, I shall be a good master to you. Whereas God demands that you go to the cross in order to prove your love to Him. I simply request that you pay homage to me. For this 
gives the lie to your God, your Father, who his lying claims notwithstanding cannot take from what is mine and give it to you. He wants to put a heavy cross upon your back. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I simply request your loyalty and then in my graciousness I shall give all to you. Once again, this is a powerful temptation because of its partial truths. It is true, for example, that the Father summons Jesus to the cross, while Satan does not. It is also true that the nations worship Satan. They're not worshiping God. The prophecy says that all nations will worship Christ. But at the present, the nations give their worshipful homage to the dragon, who is the devil. Revelation 13.4, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And Revelation 13.8, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, that is, the beast of the sea, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And again, here is the worship of the beast by all nations by way of his terrifying enforcement. Revelation thirteen fifteen. He, the beast from the earth, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. If the nations all worship Satan, how can they come to worship Christ unless Christ himself first bows down to worship Satan? This is the lying argument of Satan. However, as always, the Word of God gives the lie to Satan. For even at Jesus' birth, the Word of God says that the nations do begin coming to worship Christ. Matthew 2, 1-2 Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. These wise men come from distant lands and represent the distant coastlands. Came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. What then shall we do with this wicked temptation from Satan? When Satan says, Simply bow down and worship me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. What shall we do? Or what if Satan threatens us? What if he says, I have all authority on earth, therefore you will worship me, or else I will make you pay with your very life. What then shall we do? We shall remember the times of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We shall refuse to worship the beast in his image, even if all the nations of of the earth around us are worshiping it. Daniel 3, verse 7, So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, 
all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All the people's nations and languages bowed down in worship before that image. But even so, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. And this is the mark of a true Christian. A true Christian is one who will never bow down and worship Satan. Even if all the people around him bow to Satan and worship the beast and the beast's image, a true Christian will not. For he would rather die than betray his Lord and his God. Revelation 20 verse 4 And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So then, will Jesus bow down and worship before Satan? In the history of the universe, has anything more backwards and or more perverse ever been proposed? Should the Creator worship the creation? Will the Eternal One worship the finite? Will the Holy One worship the evil one? It shall never be. The Lion of Judah roars, Never, Satan! You serpent, get behind me, Satan! For was it not Satan's hideous pride that prevented him from worshipping the Son of God so long ago in the heavenly courts of God at the creation of the world? Was not Satan himself created for the purpose of worshipping Jesus? And not vice versa, against which purpose Satan rebelled. Does not the scriptures say of Jesus in, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6, But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Why then does, does not Satan worship Jesus? but rather dares to invite Jesus to worship Him. Is this not aiming at the essence of pride? Pride seeks independence from God's authority. It desires the autonomy of Godhood complete with one's own self-determination of the knowledge of good and evil. The temptation of pride is just say that Caesar is Lord. And then you'll be free to prosper in all of your sinful fancies within the prosperous and powerful Roman Empire. The temptation of pride is also just bow down to the beast and worship his image. And then you shall rise high and be praised even like God. You can become your own God. And what therefore is the gospel? 
Is it not Jesus' humble submission to the Father that destroys Satan's temptation to pride? Is it not Jesus submitting Himself to death, even death on a cross, so that we can be saved from the just punishment of our pride and spared the everlasting miseries in hell that our pride so justly deserves? Is it not also a supernatural rebirth in the Holy Spirit, such that our hearts are brought at last into a faithful submission to God's holy commandments? What then of the kind of gospel that says that one can be saved by Jesus' blood without a willing submission to His Lordship? Is that not a false gospel? Since the very nature of the gospel is to slay our pride so that we might bow down and worship Jesus alone in submission to His kingship alone. Our Lord Jesus will not be tempted towards pride. His loyalty is pledged to His Father in heaven. And He will pledge His loyalty to no other. He will not bow down before Satan. For the Lord God who is one is a jealous God and will not tolerate the worship of any other gods since He alone is to be worshipped. Luke 4 verse 8, here's the victory. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. What a glorious Savior. How does Jesus defeat Satan? How does He inflict this mortal wound on the head of the serpent? He does it by quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And this quotation is carefully selected by our, our Savior. It's much like a smooth stone, carefully chosen and placed in a warrior's sling. For Jesus' quotation from the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy speaks not only of fearing God and of serving Him alone, but also of the danger of fearing and serving any other gods. Because in chapter 6 it says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, you shall fear. And I, that's quite interesting. In Hebrew, it's, it's fear. In Greek, it gets translated as worship. So, so to worship God is to fear God. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him. That's the quotation. Jesus quoted. And shall take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. The fear of God then which is the worship and service of God, 
necessarily excludes any other worship. So this is an issue of loyalty in worship. If the Lord God is worshipped, then the worshipper can worship no other gods besides Him. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1-4, through If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. This is how Satan is defeated. The kingdom of Satan is thrown down whenever God's people fear God with a loyal, exclusive service of His holy name. For Satan knows that he cannot do away with God altogether. The whole creation is filled with the knowledge of God's glory from sea to sea. And therefore the best that Satan can do is to tempt us to worship other gods foreign gods, in our practice of worship. And in this, whenever successful, Satan wins. Because the worship of any foreign gods mixed in with the worship of the name of the true God always leads to death. However, the fear of God destroys the power of this temptation of other gods. Being zealous to worship the Lord our God and to serve Him alone, the fear of God is by definition exclusive. As God is jealous for His people, so too are those who fear God jealous for the exclusive glory of God's name. And therefore, those who fear God do not permit any other gods in the church's worship of Christ Jesus. So here is how we defeat Satan. By fearing God and by serving Him only. This is why Joshua at the very end of his life gave this parting charge to Israel. Joshua 24, 14 Now therefore fear the Lord serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. This is also why the angel in the book of Revelation charges the nations by exclaiming in Revelation fourteen seven, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. These things are, are so important. They are all important. Because anyone who does not so fear God, but rather who does 
worship the beast and does worship his image, the scriptures say, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And such a one, says the scriptures, will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. O church of the living God, The ends do not justify the means. There can be no compromising with Satan in order to try to gain the nations for Christ. All allegiances made with Satan in the name of practicality, say so that the ministry checkbooks might be balanced, or so that the church seats might be filled, are horribly wicked. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not need Satan in order to bring an elect remnant from all nations of the world to come and worship before Him. Rather, our Lord Jesus alone is sovereign. He alone has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is risen and His authority as He sits at the right hand of the Father is unmatched and infinitely so. And, and so He has. Christ, risen, has all power and all dominion and all majesty and all blessing and all praise. And therefore, to the utter downfall of Satan, Christ Jesus, by His own authority, shall fulfill the prophecy and He shall reign over the nations forever and ever because it is written in Revelation 15.4, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. And thus it shall be unto God's eternal glory and Christ's eternal praise forever and ever and always unto always world without end. Amen. And so it's very special now that we return to the Lord's table this morning. And as we return to the table, we come crucifying our pride. We are not autonomous from God. Rather, in Christ's death, we submit ourselves to the authority of Christ as we come to the table. Before we come, here's the doxology. Praise be to God, our Father, who alone is able to bring a holy remnant from all nations to worship Christ. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ, who did not bow to Satan, but rather submitted Himself in sinless love to His Father. And praise be to the Holy Spirit, 
who exposes the lies of Satan so that we can fear God and serve Him only. Amen.